Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Book 2 continued of the history of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. I affect not set speeches in a history, unless known for certain to have been spoken in effect as they are written, nor then, unless they are worth rehearsal, and to invent such, though eloquently, as some historians have done, is an abuse of posterity, raising in them that read other conceptions of those times and persons than were true. Much less, therefore, do I purpose here or elsewhere to copy out tedious orations without decorum, though in their authors composed ready to my hand. Hitherto, what we have heard of Cassibelan, Togodumnus, Venusius, and Caractacus hath been full of magnanimity, soberness, and martial skill. But the truth is that in this battle and whole business the Britons never more plainly manifested themselves to be right barbarians. No rule, no foresight, no forecast, experience, or estimation, either of themselves or of their enemies. Such confusion, such impotence as seemed likest not to a war but to the wild hurry of a distracted woman with as mad a crew at her heels therefore suetonius contemning their unruly noises and fierce looks heartens his men but to stand close a while and strike manfully this headless rabble that stood nearest the rest would be a purchase rather than a toil and so it fell out for the legion when they saw their time bursting out like a violent wedge, quickly broke and dissipated what opposed them. All else held only out their necks to the slayer, for their own carts and wagons were so placed by themselves as left them but little room to escape between. The Romans slew all. Men, women, and the very drawing-horses lay heaped along the field in a gory mixture of slaughter. About fourscore thousand Britons are said to have been slain on the place. The enemy, scarce four hundred, and not many more wounded. Boadicea poisoned herself, or, as others say, sickened and died. She was of stature, big and tall, a visage grim and stern, harsh of voice, her hair of a bright color flowing down to her hips. She wore a plighted garment of diverse colors with a great golden chain, buttoned over all a thick robe. Gildas calls her the crafty lioness, and leaves an ill fame upon her doings. Dion sets down otherwise the order of this fight, and that the field was not won without much difficulty, nor without intention of the Britons to give another battle, had not the death of Boadicea come between. Albeit, Suetonius, to preserve discipline and to dispatch the relics of war, lodged with all the army in the open field, which was supplied out of Germany with a thousand horse and ten thousand foot, thence dispersed to winter, and with incursions to waste those countries that stood out. But to the Britons, famine was a worse affliction, 
having left off during this uproar to till the ground, and made reckoning to serve themselves on the provisions of their enemy. Nevertheless, those nations that were yet untamed, hearing of some discord risen between Suetonius and the new procurator, Basicianus, were brought but slowly to terms of peace, and the rigor used by Suetonius on them that yielded taught them the better course to stand on their defence. For it is certain that Suetonius, though else a worthy man, overproud of his victory, gave too much way to his anger against the Britons. Cossician, therefore, sending such word to Rome that these severe proceedings would beget an endless war, Polyclitus, no Roman but a courtier, was sent by Nero to examine how things went. He, admonishing Suetonius to use more mildness, awed the army, and to the Britons gave matter of laughter, who, so much even till then, were nursed up in their native liberty, as to wonder that so great a general with his whole army should be at the rebuke and ordering of a court servitor. But Suetonius, a while after, having lost a few galleys on the shore, was bid resign his command to Petronius Terpidianus, who, not provoking the Britons, nor by them provoked, was thought to have pretended the love of peace to what, indeed, was his love of ease and sloth. Trebellius Maximus followed his steps, usurping the name of gentle government to any remissness or neglect of discipline, which brought in first license, next disobedience into his camp, incensed against him partly for his covetousness, partly by the incitement of Roscius Caelius, legate of a legion, with whom formerly disagreeing, now that civil war began in the empire, he fell to open discord, charging him with disorder and sedition, and him, Caelius, with peeling and defrauding the legions of their pay, insomuch that Trebellius, hated and deserted of the soldiers, was content a while to govern with base entreaty, and forced at length to fly the land, which, notwithstanding, remained in good quiet, governed by Caelius, and the other legate of the legion, both faithful to Vitellius, then emperor, who sent hither Vectius Bolanus, under whose lenity, though not tainted with other fault, against the Britons nothing was done, nor in their own discipline reformed. Vitellius Caraelus, by appointment of Vespasian succeeding, had to do with the populous Brigantes in many battles, and some of those not unbloody, for, as we heard before, it was Venusius who even to these times held them tack, both himself remaining to the end unvanquished, and some part of his country not so much as reached. It appears also by several passages in the history of Tacitus that no small matter of British forces were commanded over sea the year before to serve in those bloody wars between Otho and Vitellius, Vitellius and Vespasian contending for the empire. To Caraelus succeeded Julius Frontinus in the government of Britain, note, post-Christ 79, return to text, who, by taming the Silures, a people warlike and strongly inhabiting, augmented much his reputation. But Julius Agricola, whom Vespasian in his last year sent hither, trained up from his youth in the British wars, extended with victories the Roman limit beyond all his predecessors. His coming was in the midst of summer, and the Ordovices, to welcome the new general, had hewn in pieces a whole squadron of horse, which lay upon their bounds, few escaping. 
Agricola, who perceived that the noise of this defeat had also in the province, desirous of novelty, stirred up new expectations, resolves to be beforehand with the danger, and drawing together the choice of his legions with a competent number of German auxiliaries, not being met by the Ordovices who kept the hills, himself in the head of his men hunts them up and down through difficult places, almost to the final extirpation of that whole nation. With the same current of success, what Paulinus had left unfinished, he conquers in the Isle of Mona, for the islanders, altogether fearless of his approach, whom they knew to have no shipping, when they saw themselves invaded on a sudden by the auxiliaries, whose country use had taught them to swim over with horse and arms, were compelled to yield. This gained Agricola much opinion, who, at his very entrance, a time which others bestowed of course in hearing compliments and gratulations, had made such early progress into laborious and hardest enterprises. But by far not so famous was Agricola in bringing war to a speedy end, as in cutting off the causes from whence war arises. For he, knowing that the end of war was not to make way for injuries in peace, began reformation from his own house, permitted not his attendants and followers to sway, or have to do at all, in public affairs, lays on with equality the proportions of corn and tribute that were imposed, takes off exactions and the fees of encroaching officers heavier than the tribute itself. For the countries had been compelled before to sit and wait the opening of the public granaries, and both to sell and to buy their corn at what rate the publicans thought fit, the purveyors also commanding when they pleased to bring it in, not to the nearest, but still to the remotest places, either by the compounding of such as would be excused, or by causing a dearth where none was made a particular gain. These grievances and the like he, in the time of peace removing, brought peace into some credit, which before, since the Romans' coming, had as ill name as war. The summer following, Titus being then emperor, he so continually with inroads disquieted the enemy over all the isle, and, after terror, so allured them with his gentle demeanour, that many cities, which till that time would not bend, gave hostages, admitted garrisons, and came in voluntarily. The winter he spent all in worthy actions, teaching and promoting like a public father the institutes and customs of civil life. The inhabitants, rude and scattered, and by that the proner to war, he so persuaded to build houses, temples, and seats of justice, and, by praising the forward, quickening the slow, assisting all, turned the name of necessity into an emulation. He caused, moreover, the noblemen's sons to be bred up in liberal arts, and, by preferring the wits of Britain before the studies of Gallia, brought them to affect the Latin eloquence, who before hated the language. Then were the Roman fashions imitated, and the gown. After a while, the incitements also, and materials of vice, and voluptuous life, proud buildings, baths, and the elegance of banqueting, which the foolisher sort called civility, but was indeed a secret art to prepare them for bondage. Spring appearing, he took the field, and with a prosperous expedition, wasted as far northward as the Frith of Taos, the countries of all that obeyed not, with such a terror as he went, that the Roman army, though much hindered by tempestuous weather, had the leisure to build forts and castles where they pleased, none daring to oppose them. 
Besides, Agricola had this excellence in him, so providently to choose his places where to fortify, as not another general then alive. No sconce or fortress of his raising was ever known either to have been forced, or yielded up, or quitted. Out of these, impregnable by siege, or in that case duly relieved, with continual eruptions he so prevailed that the enemy, whose manner was in winter to regain what in summer he had lost, was now alike in both seasons kept short and straitened. For these exploits, then esteemed so great and honourable, Titus, in whose reign they were achieved, was for the fifteenth time saluted imperator, and of him Agricola received triumphal honours. The fourth summer, Domitian then ruling the empire, he spent in settling and confirming what the year before he had travelled over with a running conquest, and, had the valour of his soldiers been answerable, he would have reached that year as was thought the utmost bounds of Britain. For Glota and Bodotria, now Dunbritain and the Frith of Edinburgh, two opposite arms of the sea, divided only by a neck of land, and all the creeks and inlets on this side, were held by the Romans, and the enemy was driven, as it were, into another island. In his fifth year, note, post-Christ, 83, return to text, he passed over into the Orcades, as we may probably guess, and other Scotch isles, discovering and subduing nations till then unknown. He gained also with his forces that part of Britain which faces Ireland, as aiming also to conquer that island, where one of the Irish kings, driven out by civil wars, coming to him, he both gladly received and retained him as against a fit time. The summer ensuing, on a mistrust that the nations beyond Bedotria would generally rise and forlay the passages by land, he caused his fleet, making a great show, to bear along the coast and up the friths and harbours, joining most commonly at night on the same shore both land and sea forces, with mutual shouts and loud greetings, at sight whereof the Britons, not one to see their sea so ridden, were much daunted. Albeit the Caledonians, note, post-Christ, 84, return to text, with great preparation, and by rumour, as of things unknown much greater, taking arms, and of their own accord beginning war by the assault of sundry castles, sent back some of their fear to the Romans themselves. And there were of the commanders who, cloaking their fear under show of sage advice, counselled the general to retreat back on this side of the he, in the meanwhile, having intelligence that the enemy would fall on him in many bodies, divided also his army into three parts, which advantage the Britons quickly spying, and on a sudden uniting what before they had disjoined, assailed by night with all their forces that part of the Roman army which they knew to be the weakest, and breaking in upon the camp, surprised between sleep and fear, had begun some execution. When Agricola, who had learnt what way the enemies took, and followed them with all speed, sending before him the lightest of his horse and foot to charge them behind, the rest, as they came on to affright them with clamour, so plied them without respite that by the approach of day the Roman ensign glittering all about had encompassed the Britons, who now, after a sharp fight in the very ports of the camp, betook them to their wonted refuge, the woods and fens, pursued a while by the Romans. That day else, in all appearance, had ended the war. The legions, re-encouraged by this event, they also now boasting, who but lately trembled, cry all to be led on as far as there was British ground. The Britons also, not acknowledging the loss of that day to have been due to the Roman valour, but to the policy of their captain, 
abated nothing of their stoutness, but arming their youth, conveying their wives and children to places of safety, in frequent assemblies and by solemn covenants, bound themselves to mutual assistance against the common enemy. About the same time a cohort of Germans, having slain their centurion with other Roman officers in a mutiny, and for fear of punishment fled on shipboard, launched forth in three light galleys without pilot, and by tide or weather carried round about the coast, using piracy where they landed while their ships held out, and as their skills served them, with various fortune, were the first discoverers to the Romans that Britain was an island. Note, post-Christ 85, return to text. The following summer, Agricola, having before sent his navy to hover on the coast, and with sundry and uncertain landings to divert and disunite the Britons, himself, with a power best appointed for expedition, wherein also were many Britons whom he had long tried, both valued and faithful, marches onward to the mountain Grampius, where the Britons, to the number of about thirty thousand, were now lodged, and still increasing, for neither would their old men, so many as were yet vigorous and lusty, be left at home, long practised in war, and every one adorned with some badge or cognizance of his warlike deeds long ago, of whom Galgacus, both by birth and merit the prime leader of their courage, though of itself hot and violent, is, by his rough oratory and detestation of servitude and the Roman yoke, said to have added much more eagerness of fight, testified by their shouts and barbarous applauses. As much did on the other side Agricola exhort his soldiers to victory and glory. As much the soldiers, by his firm and well-grounded exhortations, were all on a fire to the onset. But first he orders them on this sort. Of eight thousand auxiliary foot he makes his middle ward. On the wings three thousand horse, the legions as a reserve, stood in array before the camp either to seize the victory won without their own hazard, or to keep up the battle if it should need. The British powers on the hillside, as might best serve for show and terror, stood in their battalions, the first on even ground, the next rising behind as the hill ascended. The field between rung with the noise of horsemen and chariots ranging up and down. Agricola, doubting to be overwinged, stretches out his front, though somewhat with the thinnest, inasmuch that many advise to bring up the legions. Yet he not altering alights from his horse and stands on foot before the ensigns. The fight began aloof, and the Britons had a certain skill with their broad swashing swords and short bucklers either to strike aside or to bear off the darts of their enemies, and withal to send back showers of their own. Until Agricola, discerning that those little targets and unwieldy glaives ill-pointed, would soon become ridiculous against the thrust and close, commanded three Batavian cohorts and two of the Tungrians exercised and armed for close fight to draw up and come to handy strokes. The Batavians, as they were commanded, running in upon them, now with their long tucks thrusting at the face, now with their piked targets bearing them down, had made good riddance of them that stood below, and, for haste omitting further execution, began apace to advance uphill, seconded now by all the other cohorts. Meanwhile the horsemen fly, the charioteers mix themselves to fight among the foot, where many of their horse also fallen in disorderly were now more a mischief to their own than before a terror to their enemies. The battle was a confused heap, the ground unequal, men, horses, chariots, crowded pell-mell, sometimes in little room, by and by in large, fighting, rushing, felling, overbearing, overturning, they on the hill, 
which were not yet come to blows, perceiving the fewness of their enemies, came down amain, and had enclosed the Romans and the wares behind, but that Agricola, with a strong body of horse, which he reserved for such a purpose, repelled them back as fast, and others, drawn off the front, were commanded to wheel about, and charge them on the backs. Then were the Romans clearly masters. They follow, they wound, they take, and to take more, kill whom they take. The Britons, in whole troops with weapons in their hands, one while fleeing the pursuer, anon without weapons, desperately running upon the slayer. But all of them, when once they get the woods to their shelter, with fresh boldness made head again, and the forwardest on a sudden they turned and slew, the rest so hampered, as had not Agricola, who was everywhere at hand, sent out his readiest cohorts, with a part of his horse, to alight and scour the woods, they had received a foil in the midst of victory but following with a close and orderly pursuit the britons fled again and were totally scattered till night and weariness ended the chase and of them that day ten thousand fell of the romans three hundred and forty among whom aulus atticus the leader of a cohort carried with heat of youth and the fierceness of his horse too far off the Romans, jocund of this victory and the spoil they got, spent the night, the vanquished wandering about the field, both men and women, some lamenting, some calling their lost friends or carrying off their wounded, others forsaking, some burning their own houses. And it was certain enough that there were who, with a stern compassion, laid violent hands on their wives and children to prevent the more violent hands of hostile injury next day appearing manifested more plainly the greatness of their loss received everywhere silence desolation houses burning afar off not a man seen all fled and doubtful whither such words the scouts bringing in from all parts and the summer now spent no fit season to disperse a war the roman general leads his army among the horestians by whom hostages being given he commands his admiral with a sufficient navy to sail round the coast of Britain, himself with slow marches, that his delay in passing might serve to awe those new conquered nations, bestows his army in their winter quarters. The fleet also, having fetched a prosperous and speedy compass about the isle, put in at the haven Tritolensis, now Richburg near Sandwich, from whence it first set out. And now likeliest, if not two years before, as was mentioned, the Romans might discover and subdue the Isles of Orkney, which others, with less reason, following Eusebius and Erosius, attribute to the deeds of Claudius. These perpetual exploits abroad won him wide fame, with Domitian, under whom great virtue was as punishable as open crime, won him hatred, for he, maligning the renown of these his acts, in show decreed him honours, in secret devised his ruin. Note post-Christ 86. Return to text. Agricola therefore commanded home for doing too much of what he was sent to do, left the province to his successor quiet and secure. Whether he, as his conjecture, were Celestius Lucullus, or before him some other, for Suetonius only names him legate of Britain under Domitian, but further of him or aught else done here until the time of Hadrian is nowhere plainly to be found. Some gather by a preface in Tacitus to the book of his histories that what Agricola won here was soon after by Domitian, either through want of valour lost 
or through envy neglected and juvenal the poet speaks of our viragus in these days and not before king of britain who stood so well in his resistance as not only to be talked of at rome but to be held matter of a glorious triumph if domitian could take him captive or overcome him then also claudia rufina the daughter of a briton and wife of pudence a roman senator lived at rome famous by the verse of Martial for beauty wit and learning the next we hear of britain is that when trajan was emperor it revolted and was subdued but hadrian next entering on the empire they soon unsubdued themselves julius severus saith dion then governed the island a prime soldier of that age he being called away to suppress the jews then in tumult left things at such a pass as caused the emperor in person to take a journey hither note post christ one twenty two return to text where many things he reformed and as augustus and tiberius counselled to confine the empire within moderate bounds he raised a wall with great stakes driven in deep and fastened together in manner of a strong mound fourscore miles in length to divide what was roman from what was barbarian as his manner was to do in other frontiers of his empire where great rivers divided not the limits no ancient author names the situation of this wall but old inscriptions and the ruin itself yet testifies where it went along between solway frith by carlisle and the mouth of the river tyne hadrian having quieted the island took it for honour to be titled on his coin the restorer of britain in his time also priscus licinius as appears by an old inscription was lieutenant here antoninus pius reigning the brigantes ever least patient of foreign domination breaking in upon genunia which camden guesses to be guinethia or north wales part of the roman province were with the loss of much territory driven back by lollius urbicus who drew another wall of turves in likelihood much beyond the former and as camden proves between the frith of dunbritton and of edinburgh to hedge out incursions from the north and saith saturnius as is collected from the digests note post christ one forty four return to text had charge here of the roman navy with like success did marcus aurelius note post christ one sixty two return to text the next emperor by his legate calphurnius agricola finish here a new war commodus after him obtaining the empire in his time as among so many different accounts may seem most probable lucius a supposed king in some part of britain was the first of any king in europe that we read of that received the christian faith and this nation the first that by public authority professed it a high and singular grace from above if sincerity and perseverance went along otherwise an empty boast and to be feared the verifying of that true sentence the first shall be last and indeed the praise of this action is more proper to king lucius than common to the nation whose first professing by public authority was no real commendation of their true faith which had appeared more sincere and praiseworthy whether in this or any other nation if it had been first professed without public authority or against it as it might else have been but outward conformity lucius in our monmouth story is made the second by descent from marius marius the son of arviragus is there said to have overthrown the picts then first coming out of scythia and to have slain roderick their king 
and in sign of victory to set up a monument of stone in the country since called westmeria but these things have no foundation coilus the son of marius all his reign which was just and peaceable holding great amity with the romans left it hereditary to lucius he if beder or not living near five hundred years after yet our ancientest author of this report sent to eleutherius then bishop of rome note post christ one eighty one return to text an improbable letter as some of the contents discover desiring that by his appointment he and his people might receive christianity from whom two religious doctors named in our chronicles Thagonus and deruvianus being forthwith sent are said to have converted and baptized well nigh the whole nation thence lucius to have had the surname of levermauer that is to say great light nor yet then first was the christian faith here known but even from the latter days of tiberius as gildas confidently affirms had been taught and propagated and that as some say by simon zelotius as others say by joseph of arimathea barnabas paul peter and their prime disciples but of these matters variously written and believed ecclesiastical historians can best determine as the best of them do with little credit given to the particulars of such uncertain relations as for lucius they write that after a long reign he was buried in gloucester but dying without issue left the kingdom in great commotion by truer testimony we find that the greatest war which in those days busied commodus was in this island for the nations northward notwithstanding the wall raised to keep them out breaking in upon the roman province wasted wide and both the army and the leader that came against them wholly routed and destroyed which put the emperor in such a fear as to dispatch hither one of his best commanders ulpius marcellus note post christ one eighty three return to text he a man endowed with all nobleness of mind frugal and temperate mild and magnanimous in war bold and watchful invincible against lucre and the assault of bribes what with his valour and these his other virtues quickly ended this war that looked so dangerous and had himself like to have been ended by the peace which he brought home for presuming to be so worthy and so good and the envy of so worthless and so bad an emperor after whose departure the roman legions fell to sedition among themselves fifteen hundred of them went to rome in the name of the rest and were so terrible to commodus himself as that to please them he delivered up to their care perennis the captain of his guard for having in the british war removed their leaders who were senators and in their places put those of the equestrian order notwithstanding which compliance they endeavoured here to set up another emperor against him and helvius pertinax note post christ one eighty six return to text who succeeded as governor found it a work so difficult to appease them that once in the mutiny he was left for dead among many slain and though afterwards he severely punished the tumultors was fain at length to seek a dismission from his charge after him claudius albinus took the government but he for having to the soldiers made an oration against monarchy by the appointment of commodus was bid to resign to junius severus note post christ one ninety three return to text but albinus in those troublesome times ensuing under the short reign of pertinax and didius julianus found means to keep in his hands the government of britain 
although Septimius Severus, who next held the empire, sent hither Heraclitus to displace him, but in vain, for Albinus, with all the British powers and those of Gallia, met Severus about Lyon in France, and fought a bloody battle with him for the empire, though he was at last vanquished and slain. The government of Britain, Severus divided between two deputies, till then one legate was thought sufficient. The north he committed to Virius Lupus, where the Meti rising in arms, and the Caledonians, though they had promised the contrary to Lupus, preparing to defend them, he was so hard beset that he was compelled to buy his peace and a few prisoners with great sums of money. But hearing that Severus had now brought to an end his other wars, he writes him plainly the state of things here, quote, that the Britons of the north made war upon him, broke into the province, and harassed all the countries nigh them, so that there needed suddenly either more aid or the authority of Severus himself in person, unquote. Severus, though now much weakened with age and the gout, yet desirous to leave some memorial of his warlike achievements here, as he had done in other places, and hoping also to withdraw by this means his two sons from the pleasures of Rome, and his soldiers from idleness, sets out with a mighty power, and far sooner than could be expected, arrives in Britain. Note, post-Christ 203, turned to text. The northern people, much daunted with the report of so great forces brought over with him, and yet more preparing, send ambassadors to treat of peace, and to excuse their former doings. The emperor, now loath to return home without some memorable thing done, whereby he might assume to his other titles the addition of Britannicus, delays his answer, and quickens his preparations, till in the end, when all things were in readiness to follow them, they are dismissed without effect. His principal care was to have many bridges laid over bogs and rotten moors that his soldiers might have to fight on sure footing. For, it seems, through lack of tillage, the northern parts were then, as Ireland is at this day, and the inhabitants in like manner wanted to retire and defend themselves in such watery places, half naked. He also, being past Adrian's wall, note, post-Christ, 209 returned a text cut down woods made ways through hills fastened and filled up unsound and plashy fens notwithstanding all this industry used the enemy kept himself so cunningly within his best advantages and seldom appearing so opportunely found his times to make eruptions upon the romans when they were most in straits and difficulties sometimes training them on with a few cattle turned out and when drawn within ambush, cruelly handling them, so that many a time, when they were enclosed in the midst of sloughs and quagmires, they chose rather themselves to kill such as were faint and could not shift away, than to leave them there a prey to the Caledonians. Thus lost Severus, and by sickness in those noisome places, no less than fifty thousand men, and yet desisted not, though for weakness carried in a litter, till he had marched through with his army to the utmost northern verge of the isle, and the Britons, offering peace, were compelled to lose much of their country which had not before been subject to the Romans. Note, post-Christ 2.10, return to text. Severus, on the frontiers of what he had firmly conquered, builds a wall across the island from sea to sea, which one author judges the most magnificent of all his other deeds, and that he thence received the style of Britannicus, 
in length a hundred and thirty-two miles. Orosius adds it fortified with a deep trench, and between certain spaces many towers or battlements. The place whereof some will have to be in Scotland, the same which Lollius Urbicus had walled before. Others affirm it only Hadrian's work re-edified. Both plead authorities and the ancient track yet visible. But this I leave among the studious of these antiquities to be discussed more at large. While peace held, the Empress Julia, meeting on a time certain British ladies, and discoursing with the wife of Argentacoxus, a Caledonian, cast out a scoff against the looseness of our island women, whose manner then was to use promiscuously the company of diverse men, whom straight the British women boldly thus answered, Much better do we Britons fulfil the work of nature than you Romans, we with the best men accustom openly, you with the basest commit private adulteries. Whether she thought this answer might serve to justify the practice of her country, as when vices are compared, the greater seems to justify the less, or whether the law and custom wherein she was bred had whipped out of her conscience the better dictate of nature, and not convinced her of the shame, certain it is that, whereas other nations used a liberty not unnatural for one man to have many wives, the Britons, altogether as licentious, but more absurd and preposterous in their license, had one or many wives in common among ten or twelve husbands, and those for the most part incestuously. But no sooner was Severus returned into the province than the Britons take arms again, against whom Severus, worn out with labours and infirmity, sends Antoninus his eldest son, expressly commanding him to spare neither sex nor age. But Antoninus, who had his wicked thoughts taken up with the contriving of his father's death, a safer enemy than a son, did the Britons not much detriment. Whereat Severus, more overcome with grief than any other malady, ended his life at York. Note, post-Christ 2.11, return to text. After whose decease, Antoninus Caracalla, his impious son, concluding peace with the Britons, took hostages and departed to Rome. The conductor of all this northern war, Scottish writers named Donaldus, he of Monmouth, Hugentius, in the rest of his relation nothing worth. From hence, the Roman Empire declining apace, good historians growing scarce or lost, have left us little else but fragments for many years ensuing. Under Gordian the Emperor, we find by the inscription of an altar stone, note, post-Christ 259, return to text, that Nonius Philippus governed here. Under Gallienus we read that there was a strong and general revolt from the Roman legate. Of the thirty tyrants, which not long after took upon them the style of emperors, note post-Christ 259, return to text, by many coins found among us, Lolinus, Victorinus, Posthumus, the Tetrici, and Marius are conjectured to have risen or born great sway in this island. Note post-Christ 267, return to text. Prince Porphyrius, a philosopher then living, said that Britain was a soil fruitful of tyrants, and is noted to be the first author that makes mention of the Scottish nation. While Probus was emperor, Bonifus, the son of a rhetorician, bred up a Spaniard, though by descent a Briton, and a matchless drinker, nor much to be blamed if, as they write, he were still wisest in his cups. 
having attained in warfare to high honours and lastly in his charge over the german shipping willingly as was thought miscarried trusting on his power with the western armies and joined with proculus bore himself a while for emperor but after a long and bloody fight at cullen vanquished by probus he hanged himself and gave occasion of a ready jest made on him for his much drinking here hangs a tankard not a man after this probus with much wisdom prevented a new rising here in britain by the severe loyalty of victorinus a moor at whose entreaty he had placed here that governor which rebelled for the emperor upbraiding him with the disloyalty of the man whom he had commanded victorinus undertaking to set all right again hastes thither and finding indeed the governor to intend sedition by some contrivance not mentioned in the story slew him whose name some imagined to be cornelius lelianus they write also that probus gave leave to the spaniards gauls and britons to plant vines and to make wine and having subdued the vandals and burgundians in a great battle sent over many of them hither to inhabit where they did good service to the romans when any insurrection happened in the isle after whom carus emperor going against the persians left carinus note post christ to eighty return to text one of his sons to govern among other western provinces this island with imperial authority but him diocletian saluted emperor by the eastern armies overcame and slew about which time carausius note post christ two eighty four return to text a man of low parentage born in minapia about the parts of cleves and Juliet, who passing through all military degrees was made at length admiral of the belgic and armoric seas then much infested by the franks and saxons what he took from the pirates he neither restored to the owners nor accounted for it to the public but enriched himself therewith and yet not scouring the seas but conniving rather at those sea robbers he was grown at length too great a delinquent to be less than an emperor note post christ two eighty five return to text for fear and guiltiness in those days made emperors oftener than merit and understanding that maximilianus herculius diocletian's adopted son was come against him into gallia passed over with the navy which he had made his own into britain and possessed the island there note post christ two eighty six return to text he built a new fleet after the roman fashion got into his power the legion that was left there in garrison and detained there other outlandish cohorts enlisted the very merchants and factors of gallia and with the allurements of spoil invited great numbers of other barbarous nations to his part and trained them to the sea service wherein the romans at that time were grown so out of skill that carausius with his navy did at sea what he listed robbing on every coast whereby maximilian being able to come no nearer than the shore of bologna was forced to conclude a peace with Carausius and yield him Britain, as one fittest to guard the province there against inroads from the north. But not long after, note, post Christ 291, return to text, Maximilian, having assumed Constantius Chlorus to the dignity of Caesar, sent him against Carausius, who in the meanwhile had made himself strong both within the land and without. Alfred of Monmouth writes that he made the Picts his confederates, to whom lately come out of Scythia he gave Albany to dwell in. 
and it is observed that before his time the Picts are not known to have been anywhere mentioned, and then first by Eumenius, a rhetorician. He repaired and fortified the wall of Severus with seven castles and a roundhouse of smooth stone on the bank of Charon, which river Sethninius was of his name so called. He built also a triumphal arch in remembrance of some victory there obtained. In France he held Gesseroricum, or Bologna, and all the Franks, which had by his permission seated themselves in Belgia, were at his devotion. But Constantius, hasting into Gallia, besieges Boulogne, and with stones and timber obstructing the port, keeps out all relief that could be sent in by Carousius, who, ere Constantius, with the great fleet which he had prepared, could arrive thither, was slain treacherously, note, post-Christ 2.92, return to text, by Electus, one of his friends, who longed to step into his place, when he, during seven years, and worthily, as some say, as others tyrannically, had ruled the island. So much the more did Constantius prosecute that opportunity before Electus could well strengthen his affairs, and, though in ill weather, putting to sea with all urgency from several havens to spread the terror of his landing and the doubt where to expect him, in a mist passing the British fleet unseen that lay scouting near the Isle of Wight, no sooner got ashore, but he fires his own ships to leave no hope of refuge but in victory. Electus also, though now much dismayed, transfers his fortune to a battle on the shore, but encountered by Asclepiodotus, captain of the Praetorian bands, and desperately rushing on, unmindful of ordering his men or bringing them all to fight, save the accessories of his treason and his outlandish hirelings, is overthrown and slain with little or no loss to the Romans, but great execution on the Franks. His body was found almost naked in the field, for the purple robe he had thrown aside, lest it should descry him, unwilling to be found. The rest, taking flight to London, and purposing with the pillage of that city to escape by sea, are met by another part of the Roman army, whom the mist at sea disjoining had by chance brought thither, and with a new slaughter chased through all the streets. The Britons, their wives also, and children, with great joy went out to meet Constantius, as one whom they acknowledged to be their deliverer from bondage and insolence. All this seems by the account given of it by Eumenius, who was living at that time, and was of Constantius's household, to have been done in the course of one continued action. So also thinks Sigonius, a learned writer, though all others allow three years to the tyranny of Electus. In these days were great store of workmen and excellent builders in this island, whom, after the alteration of things here, the Eduans in Burgundy entertained to build their temples and public edifices. Diocletian, having hitherto successfully used his valour against the enemies of his empire, uses now his rage in a bloody persecution against his obedient and harmless Christian subjects. From the feeling whereof, neither was this island though most remote, far enough removed. Among them here who suffered gloriously, Aaron and Julius of Caleron upon us, but chiefly Alban of Verulam, were most renowned, the story of whose martyrdom, soiled and worse martyred, with the fabling zeal of some idle fanciers more fond of miracles than apprehensive of truth, deserves not longer digression. Constantius, after Diocletian, dividing the empire with Galerius, had Britain among his other provinces, 
where either preparing for or returning with a victory from an expedition against the caledonians he died at york note post christ three hundred six return to text his son constantine who happily came post from rome to bologna just about the time saith eumenius that his father was setting sail his last time hither and not long before his death was by him on his deathbed named and after his funeral by the whole army saluted emperor there goes a fame and that seconded by most of our own historians though not those the ancientest that constantine was born in this island and that his mother helena was the daughter of coilus a british prince but this prince coilus could not surely be coilus the father of king lucius whose sister she must then be for that would make her be too old by a hundred years to be the mother of constantine but to salve this incoherence another coilus is feigned to be then earl of colchester to this therefore the roman authors gave no testimony except a passage or two in the panegyrics about the sense whereof much is argued other writers who lived nearest to those times clear the doubt and write him certainly born of a mean woman helena the concubine of constantius at nisus in dardania note post christ three hundred seven return to text albeit ere his departure hence he seems to have had some bickerings in the north which by reason of more urgent affairs being amicably composed he passes into gallia and after four years returns either to settle or to alter the state of things here until a new war against Maxentius called him back, leaving Pacatianus his vice-regent. He deceasing, Constantine, his eldest son, enjoyed for his part of the empire, with all the provinces that lay on this side the Alps, this island also. Note, post-Christ, 340, return to text. But falling to civil war with Constans, his brother, was by him slain, who with his third brother Constantius coming into Britain, seized it as victor against him rose magnentius one of his chief commanders by some affirmed the son of a briton he having gained on his side great forces contested with constantius in many battles for the sole empire but vanquished in the end slew himself note post christ three fifty return to text somewhat before this time gratianus funarius the father of valentinian afterwards emperor had chief command of those armies which the romans kept here and the arian doctrine which then divided christendom wrought also in this island no small disturbance a land saith gildas greedy of everything new steadfast in nothing at last note post christ three fifty nine return to text constantius appointed a synod of more than four hundred bishops to assemble at arminium at the emperor's charges which the rest all refusing three only of the british poverty constraining them accepted though the other bishops among them offered to have borne their charges esteeming it more honourable to live on the public than to be obnoxious to any private purse doubtless an ingenuous mind and far above the presbyters of our age who like well to sit in assembly on the public stipend but liked not the poverty that caused these to do so after this martinus was deputed of the province who being offended with the cruelty which paulus an inquisitor sent from constantius exercised in his inquiry after those military officers 
who had conspired with Magnentius, was himself laid hold on as an accessory, at which, enraged, he runs at Paulus with his drawn sword, but failing to kill him, turns it on himself. Next to whom, as may be guessed, Olypius was made deputy. In the meantime, Julian, whom Constantius had made Caesar, having recovered much territory about the Rhine, where the German inroads before had long insulted, to relieve those countries most ruined, causes eight hundred pinnaces to be built, and with them, by frequent voyages, plenty of corn to be fetched in from Britain, which even then was the usual bounty of this soil to those parts, as oft as French and Saxon pirates hindered not the transportation. While Constantius yet reigned, the Scots and Picts breaking upon the northern confines, Julian, being at Paris, sends over Lupicinus, a well-tried soldier, but a proud and covetous man, who, with the power of light-armed Herulians, Batavians, and Mycians, in the midst of winter sailing from Bologna, arrives at Rutupiae, seated on the opposite shore, and comes to London to consult there about the war, but soon after was recalled by Julian, then chosen emperor under whom we read not of aught happening here, only that Palladius, one of his great officers, was hither banished. This year, Valentinian being emperor, the Atticots, Picts, and Scots roving up and down, and last the Saxons, with perpetual landings and invasions, harried the south coast of Britain, slew Nectaridius, who governed the sea-borders, and Bulcobides with his forces by an ambush. With which news, Valentinian, not a little perplexed, sends first severus high steward of his house and soon recalls him and then juvenus who intimating the necessity of greatest supplies he sent at length theodosius a man of tried valour and experience father to the first emperor of that name he note post christ three sixty four return to text with selected numbers out of the legions and cohorts crosses the sea from bologna to rutupiae from whence, with the Batavians, Herulians, and other legions that arrived soon after, he marches to London, and, dividing his forces into several bodies, sets upon the dispersed and plundering enemy, laden with spoil, from whom, recovering the booty which they led away, and were forced to leave there with their lives, he restores all to the right owners, save a small portion to his wearied soldiers, and enters London victoriously, which, after having been for some time involved in many straits and difficulties, was now revived as with a great deliverance. The numerous enemy with whom he had to deal was of different nations, and the war scattered, which Theodosius, getting daily some intelligence from fugitives and prisoners, resolves to carry on by sudden parties and surprisals rather than by set battles, nor omits he to proclaim indemnity to such as would lay down their arms and accept a peace, which brought in many. Yet all this not ending the work, he requires that Civilis, a man of much uprightness, might be sent him, to be as deputy of the island, and Dulcitius a famous captain. Thus was Theodosius busied, besetting with ambushes the roving enemy, repressing his inroads, restoring cities and castles to their former safety and defence, laying everywhere the firm foundation of a long peace, when Valentinus, Note, post-Christ 368, return to text. A Pannonian, for some great offence banished into Britain, conspiring with certain exiles and soldiers against Theodosius, 
whose worth he dreaded as the only obstacle to his greater design of gaining the isle into his power was discovered and with his chief accomplices delivered over to condign punishment against the rest theodosius with a wise lenity suffered not inquisition to proceed too rigorously lest the fear thereof appertaining to so many occasion might arise of new trouble in a time so unsettled this done he applies himself to reform things out of order raises on the confines many strongholds and in them appoints due and diligent watches and so reduced all things out of danger that the province which but lately was under the command of the enemy became now wholly roman and received the new name of valentia from valentinian and the city of london that of augusta thus theodosius nobly acquitting himself in all affairs with general applause of the whole province accompanied to the seaside returns to valentinian who about five years after sent hither frau marius a king of the almonds note post christ three seventy three return to text with the authority of a tribune over his own country forces which then both for number and good service were in high esteem against gratian who succeeded in the western empire maximus a spaniard and one who had served in the british wars with the younger theodosius for he also either with his father or not long after him seems to have done something in this island and now general of the roman armies here either discontented that theodosius was preferred before him to the empire or constrained by the soldiers who hated gratian assumes the imperial purple note post christ three eighty three return to text and having attained victory against the scots and picts with the flower and strength of britain passes into france there slays gratian and without much difficulty during the space of five years note post christ three eighty eight return to text obtains his part of the empire but is overthrown at length and slain by theodosius with whom perishing most of his followers or not returning out of armorica which maximus had given them to possess the south of britain by this means exhausted of her youth and what there was of roman soldiers on the confines drawn off became a prey to savage invasions note post christ three eighty eight return to text of scots from the irish seas of saxons from the german of picts from the north against them first chrysanthus the son of marcian a bishop made deputy of britain by theodosius demeaned himself worthily note post christ three eighty nine return to text then stilicho a man of great power whom theodosius dying left protector of his son honorius either came in person or sending over sufficient aid repressed them and as it seems new fortified the wall against them but that legion being called away when the roman armies from all parts hastened to relieve honorius note post christ four hundred two return to text then besieged in asta of piedmont by alaric the goth britain was left exposed as before to those barbarous robbers lest any wonder how the scots came to infest britain from the irish sea it must be understood that the scots not many years before had been driven all out of britain by maximus and their king eugenius slain in fight as their own annals report whereby it seems that wandering up and down without any certain seat they lived by scumming those seas and shores as pirates 
but more authentic writers confirm us that the scots whoever they might be originally came first into ireland and dwelt there and named it scotia long before the north of britain took that name erosius who lived at this time writes that ireland was then inhabited by scots about this time note post christ 405 return to text though troublesome pelagius in britain found the church and is largely writ against by st austin but the roman powers which were called into italy when once the fear of alaric was over made return into several provinces and perhaps victorinus of tolosa whom rutilius the poet much commends might be then prefect of this island if it were not he whom stilicho sent hither buchanan writes that endeavouring to reduce the picts into a province he gave the occasion of their calling back fergusius and the scots whom maximus with their help had quite driven out of the island and indeed the verses of that poet speak him to have been active in those parts but the time which is assigned him later by buchanan after gratianus municeps by camden after constantine the tyrant accords not with that which follows in the plain course of history note post christ four hundred seven return to text for the vandals having broke in and wasted all belgia even to those places from whence easiest passages into britain the roman forces here doubting to be suddenly invaded were all in uproar and in tumultuous manner set up marcus who it may seem was then deputy but him not found agreeable to their heady courses they as hastily kill for the giddy favour of a mutinying rout is as dangerous as their fury the like they do by gratian a british roman in four months advanced adored and destroyed there was among them a common soldier whose name was constantine with him on a sudden so taken they are upon the conceit put in them of the luckiness in his name as without other visible merit to create him emperor it fortuned that the man had not his name for naught so well he knew to lay hold and make good use of an unexpected offer he therefore with a weakened spirit to the extent of his fortune dilating his mind which in his mean condition before lay contracted and shrunk up orders with good advice his military affairs and with the whole force of the province and what a british was able to bear arms he passed into france aspiring at least to an equal share with honorius in the empire where by the valour of eudobicus a frank and gerontius a briton and partly by persuasion gaining all in his way he came to arles with like felicity by his son constans whom of a monk he had made a caesar and by the conduct of gerontius he reduces all spain to his obedience but constans after this displacing gerontius the affairs of constantine soon went to wreck for he by this means alienated set up maximus one of his friends against him in spain note post christ four hundred nine return to text and passing into france took vienna by assault and having slain constans in that city calls on the vandals against constantine who by him incited breaking forward overrun most part of france but when constantius comes the emperor's general with a strong power came out of italy gerontius deserted by his own forces retires into spain where also growing into contempt with the soldiers after his flight out of france by whom his house in the night was beset 
having first with a few of his servants defended himself valiantly and slain above three hundred though when his darts and other weapons were spent he might have escaped at a private door as all his servants did not enduring to leave his wife nonikia whom he loved to the violence of an enraged crew he first cuts off the head of his friend alanus as was agreed next his wife though loath and delaying yet by her entreated and importuned refusing to outlive her husband he dispatches for which her resolution so Zominus, an ecclesiastic writer, gives her high praise, both as a wife and as a Christian. Last of all, against himself he turns his sword, but missing the mortal place with his poniard finishes the work. Thus far is pursued the story of a famous Briton, related negligently by our other historians. As for Constantine, his ending was not answerable to his setting out, for he, with his other son Julian, being besieged by Constantius in Aro, and mistrusting the change of his wonted success, to save his head poorly turns priest, but that not availing him is carried into Italy and there put to death, having four years acted the emperor. While these things were doing, the Britons at home, destitute of Roman aid and the chief strength of their own youth, that went first with Maximus, then with Constantine, not returning home, vexed and harassed by their wanted enemies, had sent messages to Honorius, but he, at that time not being able to defend Rome itself, which in the same year was taken by Alaric, advises them by his letter to consult how best they might provide for their own safety, and acquits them of the Roman jurisdiction. They, therefore, thus relinquished, and by all right the government relapsing into their own hands, thenceforth betook themselves to live after their own laws, defending their bounds as well as they were able, and the Armoricans, who not long after were called the Britons of France, followed their example. Thus expired this great empire of the Romans, first in Britain, and soon after in Italy itself, having borne chief sway in this island, though never thoroughly subdued, or all at once in subjection, if we reckon from the coming in of Julius Caesar to the taking of Rome by Alaric, in which year Honorius wrote those letters of discharge into Britain. For the space four hundred sixty-two years. And with the empire fell also what before in this western world was chiefly Roman, learning, valor, eloquence, history, civility, and even language itself, all these together as it were with equal pace, diminishing and decaying. Henceforth we are to steer by another sort of authors, near enough in situation to the things they write of as they happened in their own country, if that would serve, and in time not much belated, some of them being of equal age, but in expression barbarous, and, to say how judicious, I suspend a while. This we must expect, in civil matters to find them dubious relators, and still to the best advantage of what they term holy church, meaning indeed themselves, in most other matters of religion, blind, astonished, and struck with superstition, as with a planet in one word, monks. Yet these guides, where can be had no better, must be followed. In gross, it may be true enough. In circumstances, every reader, as his judgment guides him, may reserve his faith or bestow it. But so different a state of things requires a several relation. End of the second book of the History of Britain by John Milton. Recording by Thomas Copeland.
The Third Book of the History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. The Third Book. This third book, having to tell of accidents as various and exemplary as the intermission or change of a government hath anywhere brought forth, may deserve attention more than common, and repay it with like benefit to them who can judiciously read, considering especially that the late civil broils here in England had cast us into a condition not much unlike to what the Britons then were in when the imperial jurisdiction, departing hence, left them to the sway of their own councils, which times, by comparing seriously with these latter, and that confused anarchy with this interrein, we may be able, from such two remarkable turns of state, producing like effects among us, to raise a knowledge of ourselves both great and weighty, by judging hence what kind of men the Britons generally are in matters of so high enterprise, how by nature, industry, or custom fitted to attempt or undergo matters of so main consequence. For if it be a high point of wisdom in every private man, much more is it in a nation to know itself, rather than, puffed up with vulgar flatteries and encomiums for want of self-knowledge, to enterprise rashly and come off miserably in great undertakings. Note, the following paragraphs, marked with inverted commas, have been omitted in all the former editions of our author's History of Britain, except that published in the collection of his works, 1738, second volume folio, and the subsequent edition in quarto. Return to text. Of those who swayed most in the late troubles, Few words as to this point may suffice. They had arms, leaders, and successes to their wish, but to make use of so great an advantage was not their skill. To other causes, therefore, and not to the want of force or warlike manhood in the Britons, both those and these lately we must impute to the ill-husbanding of those fair opportunities, which might seem to have put liberty so long desired like a bride into their hands of which other causes, equally belonging to ruler, priest, and people, above hath been related, which, as they brought those ancient natives to misery and ruin, by liberty, which rightly used might have made them happy, so brought they these of late, after many labours, much bloodshed, and vast expense, to ridiculous frustration, in whom the like defects, the like miscarriages notoriously appeared, with vices not less hateful or inexcusable. For a parliament being called to redress many things, as it was thought, the people, with great courage and expectation to be eased of what discontented them, chose to their behoof in parliament such as they thought to be best affected to the public good, and some, indeed, men of wisdom and integrity. The rest, to be sure the greater part, whom wealth or ample possessions or bold and active ambition, rather than merit, had commended to the same place. But, when once the superficial zeal and popular fumes that actuated their new magistracy were cooled and spent in them, straight every one betook himself, setting the commonwealth behind and his private ends before, to do as his own profit or ambition led him. Then was justice delayed, and soon after denied spite and favour determined all hence faction thence treachery both at home and in the field everywhere wrong and oppression 
foul and horrid deeds committed daily or maintained in secret or in open some who had been called from shops and warehouses without other merit to sit in supreme councils and committees as their breeding was fell to huckster the commonwealth others did thereafter as men could soothe and humour them best so he who would give most or under cover of hypocritical zeal insinuate basest enjoyed unworthily the rewards of learning and fidelity or escaped the punishment of his crimes and misdeeds their votes and ordinances which men looked should have contained the repealing of bad laws and the immediate constitution of better resounded with nothing else but new impositions taxes excises yearly monthly weekly not to reckon the offices gifts and preferments bestowed and shared among themselves they in the meanwhile who were ever faithfulest to this cause and freely aided them in person or with their substance when they durst not compel either were slighted and bereaved after of their just debts by greedy sequestrations and were tossed up and down after miserable attendance from one committee to another with petitions in their hands yet either missed the obtaining of their suit or though it were at length granted mere shame and reason oft-times extorting from them at least a show of justice yet by their sequestrators and subcommittees abroad men for the most part of insatiable hands and noted disloyalty those orders were commonly disobeyed which for certain durst not have been without secret compliance if not compact with some superiors able to bear them out thus were their friends confiscate in their enemies while they forfeited their debtors to the state as they called it but indeed to the ravening seizure of innumerable thieves in office yet were withal no less burdened in all extraordinary assessments and oppressions than those whom they took to be disaffected nor were we happier creditors to what we called the state than to them who were sequestered as the state's enemies for that faith which ought to have been kept as sacred and inviolable as anything holy namely the public faith after infinite sums received and all the wealth of the church not better employed but swallowed up into a private gulf was not ere long ashamed to confess bankrupt and now besides the sweetness of bribery and other gain with the love of rule their own guiltiness and the dreaded name of just account which the people had long called for discovered plainly that there were of their own number who secretly contrived and fomented those troubles and combustions in the land which openly they sat to remedy and would continually find such work as should keep them from being ever brought to that terrible stand of laying down their authority for lack of new business or not drawing it out to any length of time though upon the ruin of a whole nation and if the state were in this plight religion was not in much better to reform which a certain number of divines were called who were neither chosen by any rule or custom ecclesiastical nor eminent for either piety or knowledge above others who were left out only as each member of parliament in his private fancy thought fit so were they elected one by one the most part of them were such as had preached and cried down with great show of zeal the avarice and pluralities of bishops and prelates 
declaring that one cure of souls was a full employment for one spiritual pastor, how able soever, if not a charge rather above human strength. Yet these conscientious men, ere any part of the work was done for which they came together, and that on the public salary, wanted not boldness to the ignominy and scandal of their pastor-like profession, and especially of their boasted reformation, to seize into their hands, or not unwillingly to accept, besides one, sometimes two or more, the best livings, collegiate masterships in the universities, and rich lectures in the city, setting sail to all winds that might blow gain into their covetous bosoms. By which means, these great rebukers of non-residents, among so many distant cures, were not ashamed to be seen so quickly pluralists and non-residents themselves, to a fearful condemnation doubtless by their own mouths. And yet the main doctrine for which they took such pay and insisted upon with more vehemence than gospel was but to tell us, in effect, that their doctrine was worth nothing and the spiritual power of their ministry less available than bodily compulsion, persuading the magistrate to use it as a stronger means to subdue and bring in conscience than evangelical persuasion, distrusting the virtue of their own spiritual weapons which were given them, if they be rightly called, with full warrant of sufficiency to pull down all thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against God. But while they taught compulsion without convincement, which not long before they complained of, as executed unchristianly against themselves, these intents are clear to have been no better than anti-Christian, setting up a spiritual tyranny by a secular power to the advancing of their own authority above the magistrate, whom they would have made their executioner to punish church delinquencies whereof civil laws have no cognizance. And well did their disciples manifest themselves to be no better principled than their teachers, trusted with committeeships and other gainful offices upon their commendations for zealous, and as they stick not to term them godly men, but executing their places like children of the devil, unfaithfully, unjustly, unmercifully, and were not corruptly, stupidly so that between them the teachers and these the disciples there hath not been a more ignominious and mortal wound to faith to piety to the work of reformation nor more cause of blaspheming given to the enemies of god and truth since the first preaching of reformation the people therefore looking one while on the statists whom they beheld without constancy or firmness labouring doubtfully beneath the weight of their own too high undertakings busiest in petty things trifling in the main deluded and quite alienated expressed in diverse ways their disaffection some despising those persons whom before they had honoured some deserting some inveighing some conspiring against them then looking on the churchmen whom they saw under subtle hypocrisy to have preached their own follies most of them not the gospel and to be time servers covetous illiterate persecutors, not lovers of the truth, and to be like their predecessors in most of the vices whereof they had accused them. Looking on all this, the people, which had been kept warm a while in the counterfeit zeal of their pulpits, after a false heat became more cold and obdurate than before, 
some turning to lewdness, some to flat atheism, put beside their old religion and foully scandalized in what they expected should be the new. Thus they who of late were extolled as our greatest deliverers, and had the people wholly at their devotion, by so discharging their trust as we see, did not only weaken and unfit themselves to be dispensers of what liberty they pretended, but unfitted also the people, now grown worse and more disordinate, to receive or to digest any liberty at all. For stories teach us that liberty sought out of season in a corrupt and degenerate age brought Rome itself to a farther slavery. For liberty hath a sharp and double edge, fit only to be handled by just and virtuous men. To the bad and dissolute it becomes a mischief, unwieldy in their own hands. Neither is it completely given but by them who have the happy skill to know what is grievance and unjust to a people, and how to remove it wisely, what good laws are wanting, and how to frame them substantially, that good men may enjoy the freedom which they merit, and the bad feel the curb which they need. But to do this, and to know these exquisite proportions, the heroic wisdom which is required surmounted far the principles of these narrow politicians. What wonder then was it they sunk, as these unfortunate Britons had done before them, entangled and oppressed with things too hard and generous, above their strain and temper? For Britain, to speak a truth not often spoken, as it is a land fruitful enough of men stout and courageous in war, so it is naturally not over-fertile of men able to govern justly and prudently in peace, trusting only in their own mother wit, who consider not justly that civility, prudence, love of the public good, more than of money or vain honour, are to this soil in a manner outlandish, grow not here, but in minds well implanted with solid and elaborate breeding, too impolitic else and rude, if not headstrong and intractable to the industry and virtue either of executing or understanding true civil government valiant indeed and prosperous to win a field but to know the end and reason of winning unjudicious and unwise in good or bad success alike unteachable for the sun which we want ripens wits as well as fruits and as wine and oil are imported to us from abroad so must ripe understanding and many civil virtues be imported into our minds from foreign writings and examples of best ages. We shall else miscarry still and come short in the attempts of any great enterprise. Hence did their victories prove as fruitless as their losses dangerous and left them, though still conquering, under the same grievances that men suffer when they are conquered which was indeed unlikely to go otherwise, unless men, more than vulgar, bred up as few of them were, in the knowledge of ancient and illustrious deeds, invincible against many and vain titles, and free from partiality to friendships and relations, had conducted their affairs. But in the late times, from the chapman to the retailer, many whose ignorance was more audacious than the rest, were admitted with all their sordid rudiments to bear no mean sway among them, both in church and state. From the confluence of all their errors, mischiefs, and misdemeanors, what, 
in the eyes of man could be expected but what befell those ancient inhabitants whom they so much resembled confusion in the end but on these things and this parallel having enough insisted i returned to the story which gave us the matter of this digression the britons thus as we heard being left without protection from the empire and the land in a manner emptied of all her youth consumed in wars abroad or not caring to return home and those who remained in the island being through long subjection grown servile in mind slothful of body and with the use of arms unacquainted sustained but ill for many years the violence of those barbarous invaders who now daily grew upon them for although at first greedy of change and bethought the leading nation to freedom from the roman empire they seemed a while to bestir themselves with a show of diligence in their new affairs some secretly aspiring to rule others adoring the name of liberty yet so soon as they felt by proof the weight of what it was to govern well themselves and what was wanting within them not stomach for the love of license but the wisdom the virtue the labour to use and maintain true liberty they soon remitted their heat and shrunk more wretchedly under the burden of their own liberty than before under a foreign yoke insomuch that the residue of those romans which had planted themselves here despairing of their ill deportment at home and weak resistance in the field by those few who had the courage or the strength to bear arms nine years after the sacking of rome removed out of britain into france note post christ four eighteen return to text hiding for haste great part of their treasure which was never after found and now again the britons no longer able to support themselves against the prevailing enemy solicit honorius to their aid note post christ four twenty two return to text with mournful letters embassies and vows of perpetual subjection to rome if the northern foe were but repulsed he at their request spares them one legion which with great slaughter of the scots and picts drove them beyond the borders rescued the britons and advised them to build a wall across the island between sea and sea from the place where edinburgh now stands to the frith of dunbritton by the city of alcluith but the material being only turf and by the rude multitude unartificially built up without better direction availed them little note post christ four twenty three return to text for no sooner was the legion departed but greedy spoilers returning land in great numbers from their boats and pinnaces wasting slaying and treading down all before them then our messengers again posted to rome in lamentable sort beseeching that they would not suffer a whole province to be destroyed and the roman name so honourable yet among them to become the subject of barbarian scorn and insolence the emperor at their sad complaint with what speed was possible sent to their succour who coming suddenly on those ravenous multitudes that minded only spoil surprised them with terrible slaughter they who escaped fled back to those seas from whence yearly they were wont to arrive and return laden with booties but the romans who came not now to rule but charitably to aid 
declaring that it stood not longer with the ease of their affairs to make such laborious voyages in pursuit of so base and vagabond robbers of whom neither glory was to be got nor gained exhorted them to manage their own warfare and to defend like men their country their wives their children and what was to be dearer than life their liberty against an enemy not stronger than themselves if their own sloth and cowardice had not made them so if they would but only find hands to grasp defensive arms rather than basely stretch them out to receive bonds they gave them also their help to build a new wall not of earth as the former but of stone both at the public cost and by particular contributions traversing the isle in a direct line from east to west between certain cities placed there as frontiers to bear off the enemy where severus had walled once before they raised it twelve foot high and eight broad along the south shore because from thence also like hostility was feared they placed towers by the seaside at certain distances for safety of the coast withal they instruct them in the art of war leaving patterns of the arms and weapons behind them and with animating words and many lessons of valour to a faint-hearted audience bid them finally farewell without purpose to return and these two friendly expeditions the last of any hither by the romans were performed as may be gathered out of beda and diaconus the two last years of honorius their leader as some modernly write was gallio of ravenna Buchanan, who departs not much from the fables of his predecessor Boethius, names him Maximianus, and brings against him to this battle Fergus, king of Scots, after their second supposed coming into Scotland, Durstus, king of Picts, both there slain, and Dioneth, an imaginary king of Britain, or duke of Cornwall, who improbably sided with them against his own country, hardly escaping with no less exactness of particular circumstances he takes upon him to relate all those tumultuary inroads of the scots and picts into britain as if they had but yesterday happened their order of battle manner of fight number of slain articles of peace things whereof gildas and beda are utterly silent authors to whom the scotch writers have none to cite comparable in antiquity no more therefore to be believed for bare assertions however quaintly dressed than our geoffrey of monmouth when he varies most from authentic story but either the inbred vanity of some in that respect unworthily called historians or the fond zeal of praising their nations above truth hath so far transported them that where they find nothing faithfully to relate they fall confidently to invent what they think may either best set off their history or magnify their country the scots and picts in manners differing somewhat from each other but still unanimous to rob and spoil hearing that the romans intended not to return from their gorochs or leathern frigates pour out themselves in swarms upon the land more confident than ever and from the north end of the isle to the very wall's side then first took possession as inhabitants while the Britons, with idle weapons in their hands, stand trembling on the battlements, till the half-naked barbarians, with their long and formidable iron hooks, pull them down headlong. The rest, not only quitting the wall, but towns and cities, 
leave them to the bloody pursuer who follows killing wasting and destroying all in his way from these confusions arose a famine and from thence discord and civil commotion among the britons each man living by what he robbed or took violently from his neighbour when all stores were consumed and spent where men inhabited they betook them to the woods and lived by hunting which was their only sustainment to the heaps of these evils from without were added new divisions within the church for agricola the son of severianus a pelagian bishop had spread his doctrine wide among the britons though not uninfected before the sounder part neither willing to embrace his opinion to the overthrow of divine grace nor able to refute him crave assistance from the churches of france who send them germanus bishop of auxerre and lupus bishop of troyes they by continual preaching in churches note post christ four twenty six return to text in streets in fields and not without miracles as is written confirmed some regained others and at verulam in a public disputation put to silence their chief adversaries this reformation in the church was believed to be the cause of their success a while after in the field for the saxons and picts with joint force note post christ four thirty return to text which was no new thing before the saxons at least had any dwelling in this island during the abode of germanus here had made a strong impression from the north the britons marching out against them and mistrusting their own power sent to germanus and his colleague reposing more in the spiritual strength of those two men than of their own thousands armed they came and their presence in the camp was not less than if a whole army had come to second them it was then the time of lent and the people instructed by the daily sermons of these two pastors came flocking to receive baptism there was a place in the camp set apart as a church and tricked up with boughs upon easter day the enemy understanding this and that the britons were taken up with religious ceremonies more than with feats of arms advances after the paschal feast as to a certain victory german who also had intelligence of their approach undertakes to be captain that day and riding out with selected troops to discover what advantages the place might offer lights on a valley compassed about with hills by which the enemy was to pass and placing there his ambush warns them that what word they heard him pronounce aloud the same they should repeat with universal shout the enemy passes on securely and german thrice aloud cries hallelujah which answered by the soldiers with a sudden burst of clamour is from the hills and valleys redoubled the saxons and picts on a sudden supposing it the noise of a huge host throw themselves into flight casting down their arms and great numbers of them are drowned in the river which they had newly passed this victory thus won without hands left to the britons plenty of spoil and the person and the preaching of german greater authority and reverence than before and the exploit might pass for current if constantius the writer of his life in the next age had resolved us how the british army came to want baptizing for of any paganism at that time or long before in the land we read not 
or that Pelagianism was rebaptized. The place of this victory, as is reported, was in Flintshire, by a town called Guidkirk and the River Allen, where a field retains the name of Mace German to this day. But so soon as German was returned home, no, post-Christ 431, return to text, the Scots and Picts, though now so many of them Christians, that Palladius a deacon was ordained and sent by Celestine the Pope to be a bishop over them, were not so well reclaimed, or not so many of them, as to cease from doing mischief to their neighbours, where they found no impediment to their falling in yearly as they were wont. They therefore, of the Britons, who perhaps were not yet wholly ruined, in the strongest and southwest parts of the isle, note, post-Christ 446, return to text, send letters to Aetius, then, for the third time, consul of Rome, with this superscription, to Aetius, thrice consul, the groans of the Britons. And after a few words, thus, the barbarians drive us to the sea, the sea drives us back to the barbarians. Thus, bandied up and down between two deaths, we perish either by the sword or by the sea. But the empire, at that time overspread with Huns and Vandals, was not in a condition to lend them aid. Thus, rejected and wearied out with continual flying from place to place, but more afflicted with famine, which then grew outrageous among them, many, for hunger, yielded to the enemy. Others, either more resolute or less exposed to wants, keeping within woods and mountainous places, not only defended themselves, but, sallying out, at length gave a stop to the insulting foe, with many seasonable defeats, led by some eminent person, as may be thought, who exhorted them not to trust in their own strength, but in divine assistance. And, perhaps, no other assistance is here meant than the foresaid deliverance by German, if computation would permit, which Gildas either not much regarded or might mistake. But that he tarried so long here, the writers of his life assent not. End of part one of the third book of the History of Britain by John Milton. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Book two of the History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Finding, therefore, such opposition, the Scots and Irish robbers, for so they are indifferently termed, without delay get them home. The Picts, as before was mentioned, then first began to settle in the utmost parts of the island, using now and then to make inroads upon the Britons. But they, in the meanwhile, thus rid of their enemies, begin afresh to till the ground, which, after cessation, yields her fruit in such abundance as had not formerly been known for many ages. But wantonness and luxury, the wanted companions of plenty, grow up as fast. And with them, if Gildas deserve belief, all other vices incident to human corruption. That which he notes especially to be the chief of perverting of all good in the land, and so continued in his days, was the hatred of truth, and all such as durst appear to vindicate and maintain it against them as against the only disturbers all the malice of the land was bent lies and falsities and such as could best invent them were only in request evil was embraced for good wickedness honoured and esteemed as virtue 
and this quality their valour had against a foreign enemy to be ever backward and heartless to civil broils eager and prompt in matters of government and the search of truth weak and shallow in falsehood and wicked deeds pregnant and industrious pleasing to god or not pleasing with them weighed alike and the worst most an end was the weightier all things were done contrary to public welfare and safety nor only by secular men for the clergy also whose example should have guided others were as vicious and corrupt many of them besotted with continual drunkenness or swollen with pride and wilfulness full of contention full of envy indiscreet incompetent judges to determine what in the practice of life is good or evil what lawful or unlawful thus furnished with judgment and for manners thus qualified both priests and laymen they agreed to choose them several kings of their own as near as might be like as themselves and the words of my author import as much kings were anointed saith he not of god's anointing but such as were cruelest and soon after as inconsiderately without examining the truth put to death by their anointers to set up others more fierce and proud as for the election of their kings and that they had not all one monarch appears both in ages past and by the sequel it began as nigh as may be guessed either this year note post christ 447 return to text or the following when they saw the romans had quite deserted their claim about which time also pelagianism again prevailing by means of some few the british clergy too weak it seems at dispute entreat the second time germanus to their assistance who coming with severus a disciple of lupus that was his former associate stands not now to argue for the people generally continue right but inquiring those authors of new disturbance adjudges them to banishment they therefore by consent of all were delivered to germanus who carrying them over with him note post christ 448 return to text disposed of them in such place where neither they could infect others and were themselves under cure of better instruction but germanus the same year died in italy and the britons not long after found themselves again in much perplexity with no slight rumour that their old troublers the scots and picts had prepared a strong invasion purposing to kill all and dwell themselves in the land from end to end but ere their coming in as if the instruments of divine justice had been at strife which of them first should destroy a wicked nation the pestilence forestalling the sword left scarce enough of them alive to bury the dead and for that time as one extremity keeps off another preserved the land from a worse encumbrance of those barbarous dispossessors whom the contagion gave not leave now to enter far and yet the britons nothing bettered by these heavy judgments the one threatened the other felt instead of acknowledging the hand of heaven run to the palace of their king vortigern with complaints and cries of what they suddenly feared from the pictish invasion vortigern who at that time was chief rather than sole king unless the rest had perhaps left their dominions to the common enemy is said by him of monmouth to have procured the death first of constantine then of constance his son who of a monk was made king and by that means to have usurped the crown but they who can remember 
how constantine with his son constance the monk the one made emperor the other caesar perished in france may discern the simple fraud of this fable but vortigern however he may have come to reign is deciphered by truer stories as a proud unfortunate tyrant and yet is said to have been much beloved of the people because his vices sorted so well with theirs for neither was he skilled in war nor wise in counsel but covetous lustful luxurious and prone to all vice wasting the public treasure in gluttony and riot careless of the common danger and through a haughty ignorance unapprehensive of his own nevertheless importuned and awakened at length by unusual clamours of the people he summons a general council to provide some better means than heretofore had been used against these continual annoyances from the north wherein by advice of all it was determined that the saxons should be invited into britain against the scots and picts whose breaking in they either shortly expected or already found they had not strength enough to oppose the saxons were a barbarous and heathen nation famous for nothing else but robberies and cruelties done to all their neighbours both by sea and land in particular to this island witness that military force which the roman emperors maintained here purposely against them under a special commander whose title as is found on good record was count of the saxon shore in britain and the many mischiefs done by their landing here both alone and with the picts as above had been related witness as much they were a people thought by good writers to be descended of the sakai a kind of scythians in the north of asia and to have been thence called sakasans or sons of the sakai who with a flood of other northern nations came into europe toward the declining of the roman empire and using piracy from denmark all along these seas possessed at length by intrusion all that coast of germany and the netherlands which took thence the name of old saxony lying between the rhine and elbe and from thence north as far as edora the river bounding Holsatia. though not so firmly or so largely but that their multitude wandered yet uncertain of an habitation such guests as these the britons resolve now to send for and entreat into their houses and possessions at whose very name heretofore they trembled afar off so much do men through impatience count ever that the heaviest which they bear at present and to remove the evil which they suffer care not though they act in such a manner as to pull on a greater as if variety and change in evil also were acceptable or whether it be that men in the despair of better imagine fondly a kind of refuge in a change from one misery to another the britons therefore with vortigern who was then accounted king over them all resolve in full council to send ambassadors of their choicest men with great gifts and said the saxon writer in these words desiring their aid quote, worthy saxons hearing the fame of your prowess the distressed britons wearied out and overpressed by a continual invading enemy have sent us to beseech your aid they have a land fertile and spacious which to your commands they bid us surrender heretofore we have lived with freedom under the obedience and protection of the roman empire next to them we know none worthier than yourselves and therefore become suppliants to your valour leave us not below our present enemies 
and to aught by you imposed willingly we shall submit Unquote. yet ethelward writes not that they promised subjection but only amity and league they therefore who had chief rule among them hearing themselves entreated by the britons to that which gladly they would have wished to obtain of them by entreating to the british embassy returned this answer quote, be assured henceforth of the saxons as of faithful friends to the britons no less ready to stand by them in their need than in their best of fortune Unquote. the ambassadors returned joyful and with news as welcome to their country whose sinister fate had now blinded them for destruction the saxons consulting first their gods for they had answer that the land whereto they went they should hold three hundred years half that time conquering and half quietly possessing furnish out three long galleys or keels with a chosen company of warlike youth under the conduct of two brothers hengist and horsa descended in the fourth degree from woden from whom deified for the fame of his acts most kings of those nations derived their pedigree these and either mixed with these or soon after by themselves two other tribes or neighboring people called jutes and angles the one from jutland the other from england by the city of sleswick both provinces of denmark arrive in the first year of martin the greek emperor from the birth of christ four hundred and fifty years received with much good will of the people first then of the king who after some assurances given and taken bestows on them the island of tenet where they first landed hoping they might be made hereby more eager against the picts when they fought as for their own country and more loyal to the britons from whom they had received a place to dwell in which before they wanted the british nennius writes that these brethren were driven into exile out of germany and to vortigern who reigned in much fear one while of the picts then of the romans and ambrosius came opportunely into the haven for it was the custom in old saxony when their numerous offspring overflowed the narrowness of their bounds to send them out by lot into new dwellings wherever they found room either vacant or to be forced but whether sought or unsought they dwelt not here long without employment for the scots and picts were now come down some say as far as stamford in lincolnshire whom perhaps not imagining to meet new opposition the saxons though not till after a sharp encounter put to flight and that more than once slaying in fight as some scotch writers affirm their king eugenius the son of fergus hengist perceiving the island to be rich and fruitful but her princes and other inhabitants to be given to vicious ease sends word home inviting others to a share of his good success who returning with seventeen ships were grown up now to a sufficient army and entertained without suspicion on these terms that they quote, should bear the brunt of war against the picts receiving a stipend and some place to inhabit unquote. with these was brought over the daughter of hengist a virgin wondrous fair as is reported rowan the british called her she by commandment of her father who had invited the king to a banquet coming in presence with a bowl of wine to welcome him and to attend on his cup till the feast ended 
one so much upon his fancy though already wived as to induce him to demand her in marriage upon any conditions hengist at first though it fell out perhaps according to his drift held off excusing his meanness then obscurely intimating a desire and almost a necessity by reason of his augmented numbers to have his narrow bounds of tanet enlarged to the circuit of kent had it straight by donation though gorongonus till then was king of that place and so as it were overcome by the great munificence of vortigern gave him his daughter and still encroaching on the king's favour got further leave to call over octa and ebisa his own and his brother's son pretending that they if the north were given them would sit there as a continual defence against the scots while himself guarded the east they therefore sailing with forty ships even to the orcades and every way curbing the scots and picts possessed that part of the isle which is now northumberland notwithstanding this they complained that their monthly pay was grown much into arrear which when the britons found means to satisfy though alleging withal that they to whom promise was made of wages were nothing so many in number quieted with this a while but still seeking occasion to fall off they find fault next that their pay is too small for the danger they undergo threatening open war unless it be augmented Mortimer, the king's son perceiving his father and the kingdom thus betrayed from that time bends his utmost endeavour to drive them out they on the other side making league with the picts and scots and issuing out of kent wasted without resistance almost the whole land even to the western sea with such a horrid devastation that towns and colonies overturned priests and people slain temples and palaces but with white fire and sword lay altogether heaped in one mixed ruin of all which multitude so great was the sinfulness that brought this upon them gildas adds that few or none were likely to be other than lewd and wicked persons the residue of these part overtaken in the mountains were slain others subdued with hunger preferred slavery before instant death some getting to rocks hills and woods inaccessible preferred the fear and danger of any death before the shame of a secure slavery many fled over sea into other countries some into holland where yet remains the ruins of brittenberg an old castle on the sea to be seen at low water not far from leyden either built as writers of their own affirm or seized on by those britons in their escape from hengist others into armorica peopled as something with britons long before either by gift of constantine the great or else of maximus to those british forces which had served them in foreign wars to whom those also that miscarried not with the latter constantine tarl and lastly these exiles driven out by saxons fled for refuge but the ancient chronicles of those provinces attest their coming thither to be then first when they fled from the saxons and indeed the name of britain in france is not read till after that time yet how a sort of fugitives who had quitted without stroke their own country should so soon win another appears not unless joined to some party of their own settled there before vortigern 
nothing bettered by these calamities grew at last so obdurate as to commit incest with his daughter tempted or tempting him out of an ambition to the crown for which being censured and condemned in a great synod of clerks and laics partly for fear of the saxons according to the counsel of his peers he retired into wales and built him there a strong castle in radnorshire by the advice of ambrosius a young prophet whom others call merlin nevertheless faustus who was the son thus incestuously begotten under the instructions of german or some of his disciples for german was dead before proved a religious man and lived in devotion by the river remnis in glamorganshire but the saxons though finding it so easy to subdue the isle with most of their forces uncertain for what cause returned home whereas the easiness of their conquest might seem rather likely to have called in more which makes more probable that which the british write of quartermark for he coming to reign instead of his father deposed for incest is said to have thrice driven and besieged the saxons in the isle of tanat and when they issued out with powerful supplies sent from saxony to have fought with them four other battles whereof three are named the first on the river darwin the second at eppisford wherein horsa the brother of hengist fell and on the british part catagen the other son of Vortigern. the third in a field by stonar then called lapis tituli and tanat where he beat them into their ships that bore them home glad to have so escaped and not venturing to land again for five years after in the space whereof gortimer dying commanded that they should bury him in the port of stonar persuaded that his bones lying there would be terror enough to keep the saxons from ever landing in that place but they sethnenius neglecting his command buried him in lincoln but concerning these times the ancientest annals of the saxons relate in this manner in the year 455, Hengist and Horsa fought against Vortigern in a place called Egelstrip, now Aesford in Kent, where Horsa lost his life, of whom Horsted, the place of his burial, took its name. After this first battle and the death of his brother, Hengist, with his son Aska, took on him kingly title, and peopled Kent with Jews, who also then, or not long after, possessed the Isle of Wight, and part of hampshire lying opposite two years after in a fight at Craigensford or crafford note post christ 457 return to text hengist and his son slew of the britons four chief commanders and as many thousand men the rest in great disorder flying to london with the total loss of kent and eight years passing between note post christ 465 return to text he made new war on the britons of whom in a battle at Whippetsfjord, twelve princes were slain and whippet the saxon earl who left his name to that place though not sufficient to direct us where it now stands his last encounter was at a place not mentioned note post christ four seventy three return to text where he gave them such an overthrow that flying in great fear they left the spoil of all to their enemies and these perhaps are the four battles according to nennius fought by Gortimer, though by these writers far differently related and happening besides many other bickerings in the space of twenty years as malmesbury reckons nevertheless it plainly appears that the saxons by whomsoever were put to hard shifts 
being all this while fought withal in Kent, their own allotted dwelling, and sometimes on the very edge of the sea, which the word Whippetsflaut seems to intimate. But Vortimer being now dead, and none of courage left to defend the land, Vortigern, either by the power of his faction or by consent of all, reassumes the government, and Hengist, thus rid of his grand opposer, hearing gladly the restorement of his old favourite, returns again with great forces. But to Vortigern, whom he well knew how to handle without warring, as to his son-in-law, now that Gortimer, the only author of dissension between them, was removed by death, offers nothing but all terms of new league and amity. The king, both for his wife's sake and his own sottishness, consulting also with his peers, not unlike himself, readily yields, and the place of parley is agreed on, to which either side was to repair without weapons. Hengist, whose meaning was not peace but treachery, appointed his men to be secretly armed, and acquainted them to what intent. The watchword was Nemet Eosaxis, that is, draw your daggers, which they observing when the Britons were thoroughly heated with wine, but the treaty, it seems, was not without cups, and provoked, as was plotted by some affront, dispatched with those poniards every one his next man, to the number of three hundred, the chief of those that could do aught against him, either in council or in the field. Vortigern they only bound and kept in custody, until he granted them for his ransom three provinces, which were called afterward Essex, Sussex, and Middlesex. Who thus dismissed, retiring again to his solitary abode in the country of Gwarthiginion, so called from his name, from thence to the castle of his own building in North Wales by the river Teby, and living there obscurely among his wives, was at length burnt in his tower by fire from heaven, at the prayer, as some say, of German, but that coheres not, as others by Ambrosius Aurelian, of whom, as we have heard, at first he stood in great fear, and partly for that cause invited in the Saxons, who, whether by constraint or of their own accord, after much mischief done, most of them returning back into their own country, left a fair opportunity to the Britons of avenging themselves easier on those who stayed behind. Repenting, therefore, and with earnest supplication imploring divine help to prevent their final rooting out, they gather from all parts, and under the leading of Ambrosius Aurelianus, a virtuous and modest man, the last tier of the Roman stock, advancing now onward against the late victors, defeat them in a memorable battle. Common opinion, but grounded chiefly on the British fables, makes this Ambrosius to be a younger son of that Constantine, whose eldest, as we heard, was Constance the monk, who both lost their lives abroad, usurping the empire. But the express words, both of Gildas and Bede, assure us that the parents of this Ambrosius, having here borne regal dignity, were slain in these Pictish wars and commotions in the island. And if the fear of Ambrose induced Vortigern to call in the Saxons, it seems Vortigern usurped his right. I perceive not that Nennius makes any difference between him and Merlin. For that child, without father, but prophesied to Vortigern, he names not Merlin, but Ambrose, makes him the son of a Roman consul, but concealed by his mother as fearing that the king therefore sought his life. 
yet the youth no sooner confessed his parentage but vortigern either in reward of his predictions or as his right bestowed upon him all the west of britain himself retiring to a solitary life whosoever son he was he was the first according to surest authors that led against the saxons and overthrew them but whether before this time or after none have written this is certain that in a time when most of the saxon forces were departed home the britons gathered strength and either against those who were left remaining or against their whole of powers the second time returning obtained this victory thus ambrose as chief monarch of the isle succeeded Vortiger, to whose third son pascentius he permitted the rule of two regions in wales Dulf and Gorthigny. in his days saith nennius the saxons prevailed not much against whom arthur as being then chief general for the british kings made great war but more renowned in songs and romances than in true stories and the sequel itself declares as much for in the year four hundred and seventy seven ella the saxon with his three sons Cymon, pletting and kissa at a place in sussex called Kymanshire, arrive in three ships kill many of the britons chasing those that remained into the wood andred's league another battle was fought at mercred's burnhamstead note post christ four eighty five return to text where ella had by far the victory but huntingdon makes it so doubtful that the saxons were constrained to send home for supplies four years after died hengist the first saxon king of kent noted to have attained that dignity by craft as much as valour and for giving scope to his own cruel nature rather than proceeding by mildness or civility his son Auric, surnamed oisc of whom the kentish kings were called oiskings succeeded him and sate content with his father's winnings more desirous to settle and defend than to enlarge his bounds he reigned twenty-four years by this time note post christ four ninety two return to text ella and his son kissa besieging andrechester supposed now to be newenden in kent take it by force and all within it put to the sword thus ella three years after the death of hengist began his kingdom of the south saxons peopling it with new inhabitants from the country which was then called old saxony at this day holstein and denmark and had besides at his command all those provinces which the saxons had won on this side humber animated with these good successes as if britain were become now the field of fortune Curdic, another Saxon prince, the tenth by lineage from Woden, an old and practised soldier who in many prosperous conflicts against the enemy in those parts had nursed up a spirit too big to live at home with equals, coming to a certain place which from thence took the name of Curdic Shore, note, post Christ 495, return to text, with five ships and Kenrick his son, the very same day overthrew the Britons that opposed him and so effectually that smaller skirmishes after that day were sufficient to drive them still further off leaving him a large territory note post christ five hundred one return to text 
After him, Horta, another Saxon, with his two sons, Beda and Megla, in two ships arrive at Portsmouth, thence called, and at their landing slew a young British nobleman, with many others who unadvisedly set upon them. The Britons, to recover what they had lost, note, post-Christ 508, return to text, draw together all their forces, led by Natanlaud, or Nazalaud, a certain king in Britain, and the greatest set one. But with him, five thousand of his men, Kurdic puts to rout and slaves. From whence the place in Hancher, as far as Kurdic's ford, now Chardford, was called Old Nazalaud. End of the second part of Book Three of The History of Britain by John Milton. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.